here are the scriptures that uh, Scott gave me. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 6. This is in the New Living Translation. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Wow, that's a lot of, of uh, really good stuff packed into six little verses. So I said, Lord, what, what am I supposed, what, am, what do you want me to preach on? I said, where do I go with this? Do I put the focus on, hold on, I'm too fast. Do I put the focus on uh, sin? Or do I make it about Jesus being our advocate? Or do I talk about following his commandments? Or do I talk about living in the truth? Or should I cover obeying? Or should I cover living like Jesus did? And the answer was a resounding yes. So, get your shovel and we're going to dig right in this morning, okay? First off, you'll notice that uh, John addresses this group as his dear children. He spoke with the authority of being a spiritual father. And he obviously had a sincere, heartfelt bond with those people. It's pretty sure he could speak to them honestly and tell them what he was really thinking, obvious by the scriptures. But why is that important to us? We all need a spiritual father. Someone who is able to teach us, commend us, and correct us if we need it. You know, we don't need a buddy in the pulpit. We need to hold our pastors in higher esteem than a buddy. Now, now there's a time for that, you know, to have fellowship and be buddies. But when I get in a pickle or I need some serious prayer, I need a spiritual father. I don't need a buddy. So, you know, you may be really blessed and have a biological dad who's also your spiritual father. That's awesome. And it's also very rare. But that's why we need our pastors. Amen. I've said this before. When you call a man by his position, you draw on the anointing of that position. So, this will never be Albert to me. He'll always be Pastor Albert. Amen. And Pastor Scott... I know he doesn't particularly like that, but he's not Scotty Baby to me anymore, <laughs> even though he was a young punk teen in my youth group <laughs> years and years ago. So do you understand what I'm saying? We all need that spiritual father. Amen. We're friends, but I will never cross a line that disrespects them. That was just your freebie. Uh, so anyway, let's get back to John. He, he obviously has their attention, and he pulls no punches. And he says, I'm doing so good on this technology stuff here. Thank you, thank you. One more time. It says, 
I'm writing this to you. Is that what we have up there? Okay. I need to turn around and preach this way. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. You know, John obviously knew that believers will sin, right? Okay. It it says in uh, chapter 1 of John, or not John, but 1 John, we go back there, and it says, I'm not doing very good at this. It says, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. But then it also says, well, he's saying, basically, I'm not stupid, and I know you're going to sin. So it says right back in the chapter before, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know, sin is not very, something very popular to preach on these days, you know. And I really wrestled with it, and I didn't want to, to do it. <laughs> but the Lord wouldn't, wouldn't let go. He just wouldn't let go. So if we go back to that word, if, if is better understood as when anyone does sin. In other words, the, the if expresses the expectation rather than the possibility. So... We're going to talk about sin for a few minutes this morning. The word came to me and it it just said unsavory. Unsavory, you know, um, that's a good word for it. But you know, sin is just as dangerous and destructive now as it has been since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And it should not be taken lightly. In the Bible, the word sin actually means to miss the mark. The reason this definition is so important to us, because it points out three things. First, there's a target that we're aiming at. Second, it speaks to our intention. And third, now that we know there's a target, we can choose to hit it or miss it. Nobody accidentally sins, you know, It's about choice. It's awful quiet in here. (laughs) What makes something sinful is when we know what we are supposed to do and we choose not to do it. Then we're engaging in sin. For something to be sinful, we must be aware that it violates what God desires for us to do. This is not always determined by a written code, but it's also evident by a moral code that God has placed in every man's heart. And I'll get to that in just, in just a minute. But what does the Bible say about sin? Well, here's a couple verses. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know, and you may be saying, not me, bless God, I never sin. See, I won't ever lie, cheat, or steal, but did I um, fudge the truth at all today? Did I backbite or gossip any? Did I do any of that today? Did I act or say anything unsavory? 
Did uh, anybody besides me call the guy in the car that almost cut me off an idiot? Okay, all right. <laughs> it's, all, it's all sinned before the Lord. And if you want to know about what does it mean to conceal your sin, um, I'm real big on, on, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I'm looking for stuff that helps you to remember what we're talking about. Can't think of the word right now. But anyway, to conceal a sin, you know, we can look really pretty on the outside. Isn't this a lovely little needle point? We can look so pretty on the outside. But if you look at the back of it, it's kind of a mess. And that's the way we can be sometime. So we need to get rid of it, you know? It says, oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. So we can look really great on the outside, but we can be concealing something on the inside. And that's what we need to get out before God. Jesus is coming soon. I believe he is. Well, let's ask, why is sin so serious to God? When you think about what sin is, sin looks to dominate your life. It doesn't come in nice and sweet. It looks to take control of you. Sin is a relentless master that looks to steer and direct every aspect of your life. Even though you're a Christian, sin is still trying to take back control of you now. It's a tug of war. Uh, is, it's a tug of war that we experience as Christians, wrestling with the pull of sins that gets us, wants us to get us back in the world, and the pull of the Spirit calling us to live for Christ. Amen. So it says, so I say, this is Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You know, sometimes this one truth of our sin is hard for people to come to Christ because we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. That's first and foremost, isn't it? And we have to admit that we're wrong and the way we're, we've been living is wrong. What else happens? Sin devastates. Sin is destructive. It destroys family. It destroys relationships. It destroys careers. It destroys ministries. And if you allow it to linger, it will destroy everything in your path. Man, that's not good. You know, there are so many examples from the Bible that show how devastating sin is. But all you have to do is Look out in our broken world, and you can see how sin has come to try and destroy. I think Satan has taken his last blows to try and get people away from serving God. Sin will appear as a really good fruit, 
but then in the end, it's destructive. The next thing about sin, sin separates. Is the only thing that separates us from God. Because God is holy, sin cannot dwell in his presence. And I really wrestled with this one because, you know, everybody wants to quote Romans 8, where it talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. Sin can separate you from fellowship with God. He's always going to love you. He's going to love you in your sin. He's always going to love you, but you break that fellowship that you have with God when you're walking in habitual sin. Dare I say this or not? He'll love you right into hell. He will. He'll love you. An example, let me give you an uh, example of that. Say you're a father, and you, you have a biological father. For some reason, you're estranged at the moment. Your father is always going to love you, but you're not having fellowship with him right now. So the love of God is so big, but sin will separate you from fellowship with him. Man? The choices that we make can separate us from God, from his fellowship. I surely don't want that. The scripture says in Revelations, wonderfully blessed are those who wash their robes white so they can access the tree of life and enter the city of bliss by its open gates. Those not permitted to enter are outside. The malicious hypocrites or dogs, which is a metaphor for those who pretend to follow Christ while hiding their immorality. The sexually immoral, sorcerers, murderers, idolaters, and every lover of lies. Wow. Wow, that's huge. Well, how do I know if something I'm doing is a sin? You know, thankfully we have two gauges in our life. First gauge is the Word of God. The second is the Spirit of God. God's Word is clear in defining things that are black and white. And uh, they're sinful without question because they're in the Word. Um, cheating, stealing, sex with someone who's not your spouse, those are pretty clear in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit will define for you the sins that are gray. Like, um, it's called conviction. Yeah, the conviction of the Holy Ghost. You know, the only ex example that I can use right now is um, there are television shows out there I'm convicted I can't watch anymore, you know. At our house, we're pretty much down to the tennis channel <laughs> and beating Bobby Flay, which is really funny because I don't cook. And did you know there's a tennis tournament going on all over the world, day and night? I'll walk by and I'll like Anyway, the Holy Spirit conviction 
will, will tell you the things that you may need to, to step back on. I, one example I use, it's like, you know you have that itchy tag in the back of your shirt and it just keeps nagging at you? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good example of how the Holy Spirit just kind of convicts you, you know. Well, where do we go from here? The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Uh, the good news translation says, someone will say, I'm allowed to do anything. Yes, but not everything is good for you. I could say that I'm allowed to do anything, but I'm not going to let anything make me its slave. Whew. I actually saw this uh, on Facebook, and I think it's so real. The gospel is meant to change the sinner, not for the sinner to change the gospel to suit their sin. Amen. And let me add this little tidbit too. The more you try to live Christ-like, the less friends you're going to have. So, you know, that's why it's important to get into a home life group or a Wednesday night Bible study because these people become your family and they'll, they'll pray with you and, and gird you up. And if they see you doing something unsavory, you know, they'll call you out on it in love, in love, okay? So there's one fitting way to conclude this conversation. Just do your best to stay away from sin which is exactly what John is saying, isn't it? You know, this is not a sermon about me judging you or beating you up about sin, but we have to address it, though. It seems like we're living in a time when the people think, a lot of people think anything goes, and I'm a Christian, and I still live like the world. The Word says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world, Right? Right. What kind of influence are you if your Christian life looks no different than anybody out in the world who you know is not Christian? Amen. I'm not judging you because if I judge you, then my sin of judging you is just as bad as the sin that you may or may not be doing. Right? Okay. So now that we've got that out, um, I, I recently attended a church conference about church accounting, which is really exciting. <laughs> and one of their sessions was about church fraud. And I thought this is interesting. It said, church world worldwide fraud will reach $80 billion by 2025. 12% of nonprofits will fall victim to it every year. The average loss is $120,000. One-third of all congregations will experience theft. And church crime is growing by more than 6% a year. When they got done talking about who does it, why they do it, and all that, I just, I raised my hand and I said, where's the fear of God? You, you know, I'm not talking about the fear of God where you think God's going to strike you down and turn you into dust. I'm talking about the fear of God, which is simply this. An awesome dread of displeasing him. Man, that's, that just pricks my heart so much. We've got to get that back in our lives. I think we've made a mockery of God's mercy and grace. 
I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to displease my master. So what do we do? What do we do now? Simple. Repent. Repent. Acts 3.19 says, So repent, this is out of the Amplified, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, and return to God. Seek his purpose for your life so that your sins may be wiped away, blotted out, completely erased, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day. It also says in the Living Bible, same scripture, now change your mind and attitude toward God and turn to him so he can cleanse away your sin and send you wonderful times of refreshment in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Now, if I had anybody squirming in their seats, I'm very sorry, but I have some good, good news. Amen. We have an advocate. We have an advocate in Jesus. He's our go-between, so we don't have to despair. We have to cleanse our lives, cleanse our lives, repent. And Jesus is right there before the Father is our advocate. Now, uh, it says, my little children, these things I write to you that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. I want to share a little personal story about how having an advocate could work. Some of you may have heard this, but it bears repeating. Years and years ago, our church was in a strip center up here on the feeder road. Uh, actually, it's been torn down, and that's where Stacy's office is now, um, and Stephanie's. And we had worked so hard to fix this this strip center up and we were all just working so hard and out in the foyer we had these had a bulletin board and it had pictures of all of our missionaries around the world we were all so busy and our kids were with us and nobody's really paying attention to the kids until i found out that my dear sweet precious daughter who was probably five or so at the time found a push pin and proceeded to poke holes in the eyes of every missionary on that bulletin board. So you can imagine how <clears throat> distraught I was over that and thinking, boy, is she going to get it when she gets home? Well, I thought, I have a better idea. I'm going to take her to Pastor Hale. And so I grabbed her up by the arm and I took her into his office and He took her on his lap and he said, now Chrissy, now excuse me, I'm paraphrasing because this was 35 some years ago. He said, Chrissy, you know that that wasn't right. I forgive you and you'll never do it again. And she's like, okay. Jumped off and went. I mean, I thought the man was gonna give her swats. Does anybody remember swats? I took her in there thinking, this guy is going to really let her have it. And he didn't. He didn't do that. He just loved on her, forgave her, and sent her on her way. Isn't that just like Jesus? Now, let me say this as well. Do not go out of here and say that I'm saying pastor is Jesus, okay? Do not do that. I'm simply trying to make a point 
with human flesh on it. All right? He is, Jesus is our advocate. When we least deserve mercy, when we least deserve forgiveness, when we least deserve blessings because of our sins, Jesus steps in and becomes our intercessor before the Father. Amen. Romans 8, 34 and 35 says, Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. The Matthew Henry commentary says, He's there, not unconcerned for us, not forgetful of us, but making intercession. He's an agent for us there, an advocate for us, to answer all accusations and to put in our plea and to prosecute it with effect, to appear for us and to present our petitions. Uh, the, there's a note on the Voice Bible that says, Who has the authority to condemn? Jesus, the anointed one who died, but more importantly conquered death when he was raised to sit at the right hand of God where he pleads on our behalf. Praise God. So don't despair. We don't have to live in guilt or condemnation because we've sinned, and we all have. Our Savior is at the right hand of the Father going, for bat, going to bat for us. Amen? Amen. The word uh, in the Greek is parakletos or paraclete. It's used in John's Gospel referring to the Holy Spirit. But in this particular scriptures, it's referring to Jesus. And not just Jesus, Jesus the righteous one. And why is that so important? Because the righteousness of Jesus is an essential qualification for dealing with human sin. His blood purifies us from all sin. And the only one who is without sin that could bring about purification is our righteous Savior, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. It also says in verse 2, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. All the world. Uh, the world, word, world. The word, atone also means propitiation. That's your word of the day. Everybody say Propitiation. It means that God's wrath is redirected away from sinful humanity and placed on a sacrificial victim. And who is that victim? Jesus, the Lamb of God, who directs God's wrath away from his people by the shedding of his blood. He did that for you, and he did that for me. Amen. And here's more. He did it not just for you, and for me, the scripture says he did it for the whole world. He did it for the whole world. It means every person that ever hurt you, he died for them. For every Satanist, for every Muslim, for every Buddhist, every Republican, every Democrat, all they've got to do is turn away from their sins and accept Jesus Amen. as Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I challenge you this week, sometimes if you're stuck in traffic, Turn and look at the person in the car next to you and just remind yourself, Jesus died for them. You know, that snarly cashier, Jesus died for them. Amen. He died for me and he died for the whole world. Amen. Verse 3. 
And how can we be sure that we belong to him? By obeying his commandments. I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, the big 10, the big 10. Well, when's the last time you looked at the 10 commandments? Well, it's your lucky day. <laughs> thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I like what the Message Bible said there. No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Ouch. Remember to keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, if that's not enough, I found out that there, in the four Gospels, there are over 300 commandments of Jesus. 300 of them. Now, some of them are called imperative, meaning they're necessary or impossible to do without, like love me more than these, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Some of the commands are general, uh, come and follow me, show mercy, forgive those who offend you. Others are more specific, like to the time that Jesus lived. Uh, pick up your mat and walk. Move out into the deep water, let down your nets. 300 of them. Now, for you Bible nerds that are in here, I made a few copies of all 300. So if you want it and you want to study them, you're more than welcome to pick yourself up a, a copy. That's a lot of commandments, isn't it? But verse 3 of First John 2, I've had the worst trouble saying that. This is conditional. It says that we can be sure that we know him if we keep his commandments. Okay, if. There's that word if again. Doggone it. Don't, don't misunderstand. You don't get saved by keeping the commands. But if we are believers who keep his commands, we have the assurance of knowing him. That's good news, isn't it? It says in verse 4, If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There are not a lot of things that will get my blood boiling, but calling me a liar will surely get me riled up. I don't want God calling me a liar. Amen? I want to know him and I want to obey him. How do we do this then? How can I keep the 10, let alone 300 more? It's only by believing in Jesus as our Savior and allowing him to live his life through us can we follow him, truly love him, and truly follow him. 
Jesus said in John 13, 34, I don't have a slide for this one. It says, a new commandment I give you. And this commandment trumps all the rest of the commandments. I look at it like a big blanket covering all the commandments. And it's this. Well, he said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By all this, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It says in Mark 12.30, you shall love the Lord your God out of and with your whole heart and out of and with all your soul, your life, and out of and with all your mind, with your faculty of thought and your moral understanding, and out of and with all your strength. This is the first and principal commandment. This means we should love God with all of our heart, with every part of our being and not just part of him. We should love him with our emotions and our will and our strength. And 1231 says the second is like it and is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. So, all of those commands boil down to two denominators. Love God and love people. Amen? Amen? It says in John 3.16 that God so loved and dearly prized the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes and trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the love of God. And I'm going to jump into uh, 1 John 3 just for a second. By this we come to know, progressively to recognize, to perceive, to understand the essential love that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for those who are our brothers in him. 1 John 3.23, this is what God commands, that we believe in his son and that we love each other just as he commanded. So, it also says, uh, I got this off of the Kenneth Copeland uh, newsletter, it says, love is the curtain rod upon which all the blessings of God hang. <laughs> that was pretty cool. You know, um, Mel spoke a couple weeks ago, if you remember, about being the vine and the branches and how we have to stay connected. If we're going to become fruitful, we have to stay attached to the vine. We're organically connected to Jesus. Uh, I, I decided this year I was going to try my hand at raising tomatoes. <laughs> so I bought this, this uh, little pretend greenhouse you know, that blows away when the wind comes, one of those. And I bought me some tomato plants, and I bought me some cucumber plants, and I thought, I'm going to show James I can, grow, I can grow me some vegetables. I have one plant left. And it does have a couple tomatoes on it. But I found something out. You have to water them. See, and, and that's what we, that's, 
what we need to do. We need to stay connected to the vine. We need to water, water ourselves by getting in the word and by uh, getting good friendships and doing our best to stay clean before God. Amen. We can be all in or we can be all out. We can be so concerned with our sin or we can be too casual about it. If we're overly concerned, it'll be hard to let go of the guilt for past wrongs. Haven't we all been there? You still carry some, I have a couple things that I, I have to believe that God has forgiven me of and continually remind myself about. Uh, I'll tell this other one little story about my poor daughter. <laughs> when she was in kindergarten, and Miss Paula was her teacher, and I got a call from the school and said that uh, you need to come get Krista. She just showed her behind to everybody in the class. So I get her in the car. You wonder why my hair is white. <laughs> I get her in the car. She's in the back seat, and I'm up here. And she just leaned forward. I can remember exactly where it was on Maplewood. I can just remember. And she leaned forward over the back seat, back before car seats had to be in there. And she said, God's forgiven me. Why won't you? Yeah. So we have to remember that God, God has forgiven us. Sometimes we have trouble forgiving ourselves. But then the other side of that is we can be so casual about sin that we can slip into immoral actions without much concern and use our freedom in Christ as a cloak for sin. Some people will remind themselves of the forgiveness they have in Christ and then give themselves an excuse to continue in it. The casual attitude will disrespect God and the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sin. So in our battle against sin, the winning solution is not greater discipline. Discipline's helpful, but love is more powerful than discipline. Love shapes our will. Love is the most powerful motivator there is. And if we truly love God and his people, we'll live in his way. Scripture says in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The more we study our word, the word, the more we commit to regular prayer, walk a godly lifestyle, have godly friendships, our love for Jesus is going to grow more and more. And we can and will live a victorious life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to receive communion together. If you uh, didn't get your elements, there's some over here, some back there. And what a perfect time. What a perfect time to come before the Lord and and cleanse yourself, myself, all of us, of the things that we've done wrong that have been unsavory to our Lord.
let's just take a minute and let's just uh, let him search our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you are our advocate before the Father today. We thank you that even though we continually fall short, you continually love us and remind us that that's why you shed your blood was for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you now that today as we receive the bread and we receive the cup, that we are reminded and let it get so deep inside of us of what you have done for us that your, your body was broken for us. Your body was pierced for us. We don't take it lightly, Lord, and we repent right now of anything that is keeping us from fellowship with you. We repent of that and ask for your forgiveness and believe that we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that the blood washes away our sins. Washes us clean. There'll be clean air between heaven and earth. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. We take the cup. I'm so thankful to you, Lord, that you love me sometimes in spite of me. And that your blood covers us, cleanses us. And that you give us the ability to not only love ourselves, but to love our neighbors. Thank you for that, Lord. If our prayer partners would come. I know right now they'd be more than thrilled to pray for anybody who wants to give their life to Jesus or has prayed a prayer, that, the prayer today to give their lives to the Lord. If you need healing in your body, if you're suffering from any affliction, let these people pray for you. We're all in this together. Amen? Don't ever forget that. Thank you.